change the world together. Welcome to the Snapcast, the podcast for all nonprofit professionals, bringing you interviews and amazing ideas for nonprofit leaders. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nonprofit Snapcast. I'm your host, Mickey Desai. Today, my guest is Julia Geisman. How are you, Julia? Great. I'm great. Thank you for asking. And you, Mickey? I'm doing okay. Julia, you're the founder and CEO of Career Agility, right? Correct. What is Career Agility? Let's start with that. Oh, that's a really good question. And by the way, Mickey, thank you for inviting me to be part of this. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of good things to talk about. So Career Agility is a a company that focuses specifically on inclusion, building and sustaining inclusive work environments for organizations. And we have an assessment that we do first, or you can call it an audit. You can call it a number of different things, but it's, um, it's a process that is designed to provide data for organizations that reflect the inclusivity of their, of their, of their company. So then, then from the data, there are very specific recommendations. So, We do work with companies to give them a starting point so that then they can map out a, you know, a relevant and robust and effective strategy for building an inclusive work environment. So you say that there's actually a roadmap for building inclusive environments within within organizations? Well, that's a very interesting question, Mickey, uh, because... A lot of people don't understand that you really need to have data as a starting point. A lot of organizations, it doesn't matter if if it's in the nonprofit world or if it's in the corporate world, they think that if they adopt the best practices from another company or the industry itself, that that will be effective. But in fact, that is oftentimes ineffective because every organization, every company has some unique nuances to it. And unless you understand what those nuances are, then you know you have to ask yourself how effective will these best practices be? They probably won't be best practices for your particular organization. Interesting. Okay, so one of the things I want to ask you here is how do you chart this out for corporations versus nonprofits? Because you're you're talking about best practices. Does the and, and I've in your notes you've also said to me something I thought was pretty interesting, which is that inclusion is the DNA of the of an organization. But yes. corporate DNA is different from on, nonprofit DNA in that regard. How how no, can that be? No, it isn't different. Okay. That, okay. Which is which is really an interesting question because people there are a lot of things that are identical. When you have an organization, you have people. You know, by definition, it doesn't matter if the organization is making money and exists for um, the shareholders or the stakeholders, or if it's a nonprofit, which still makes money, but um, it, you know, it's classified differently. Whenever you have a group of people together, you're always going to have dynamics. So when I say that inclusion is the DNA of an organization, it transcends every organization. In fact, the DNA, in my opinion, I mean, it includes the DNA of society in and of itself. Ah, okay. Okay, so it's a much broader conversation, and it has to do with a mindset. In other words, what is the mindset of the individuals within the organization? And we all have conscious and unconscious biases, all of us. And the question is, are those biases going to include people 
are they going to exclude people? If there's a new idea that people have, you know, that people are approached with, sometimes they say, you know, it doesn't align with my thinking. It doesn't align with what I want to do. Um, and by the way, the subtext to this is, I feel threatened by it because you're challenging my expertise. <laughs> Sometimes that happens, huh. you know, and it happens unconsciously. I mean, and then you know, the other thing that happens is people that don't look and think like us are knee jerked. You know, people have knee jerk reactions to that and will exclude those people or people are reluctant to step out of their comfort zone when there's a new opportunity or experiences presented to them. So it, it is a mindset and the mindset is really about, first of all, recognizing that we exclude a lot of possibilities in our lives and then, you know, saying, well, what do I want to do about it? So that's why I say inclusion is the DNA, even of our society. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I'm 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 thinking of many organizations that I've known, and I think you're absolutely right. It's the it's the unspoken part of that that organizational equation. The the things that you don't know about and you don't recognize can easily can easily be the place where exclusion occurs. So how do you do that? I mean, it, we're talking about organizational decisions here, and yet you're talking about individual mindsets. Is the goal to get everyone in an organization to to examine their mindset? Well, there's a basic mindset that is built into the way people interact with each other, the way people lead, the workplace systems, the policies, the procedures, the way people are interviewed, the way people are um, are promoted, the way people are developed. And it's really a matter of being able to say, hmm, who's missing at the table? In other words, let me, let me start from a very basic level, which is awareness is the bedrock of having an inclusive mindset of individually, how aware are we of our interactions with other people? Okay, how are, aware are we of the surroundings, of our surroundings? How aware are we of how we personally impact other people? And how aware are we of what other people need? How aware are we of the general overall dynamics within a team or within your organization? So awareness is fundamental to it all. And, and then from awareness, what you find is, okay, what's the mindset? Well, when you define a mindset, it means having a preconceived notion. Okay. That is fixed, that is fixed in, in the way you see the world. So as somebody once said, and I thought it was brilliant, that we are we live our lives based upon peer group pressure from the past. I'm inclined to say we live our lives based upon the tyranny of the past. Ah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, you know, how present are we to what's in front of us? So awareness is fundamental. And then there are five other aspects to this. Um, oh, and also empathy, by the way, <laughs> you know, empathy is, I heard a great definition of empathy being that of understanding that other people have a right to their experiences. 
Now that's interesting. Okay. Empathy is other people have the rights to their experiences. That's, yeah. uh, that's, I, I mean, my background's in counseling psychology and, uh, and that's not quite the way we've framed what empathy is, but I like that. I mean, I, I, I can see what that's doing for your, uh, for your clients. Yeah, because on one hand, I want to empathize with you. Yeah, okay. Uh, do I have a, 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 the same experience that the other person has in order to be empathetic to the other person? Probably not, even though it's close. Right. I can relate. Do I have sympathy? I can feel your pain. Yes. I can feel what I know when somebody is in pain or when somebody's upset about something. It's so obvious. But to fully empathize with somebody is really giving them the space to experience whatever they may be experiencing and not judgmentally. What you, given your psychology background, Mickey, what do you think of that? I think the non-judgmentally part is is certainly a huge part of the equation. It, it's hard to be non-judgmental, though. I think humans are kind of kind of hardwired to judge in some way. I don't mean to excuse bad behaviors with that sentence, but but I think that judgment at some very sort of limbic system level is the kind of thing that keeps people safe. No, you're absolutely right. And when you think about it, we're so tribal and our hard wiring from prehistoric times or whenever the Neolithic times, what Neo made us want, have to exclude people. You know, if you, if you don't look like my tribe, I, I know you'll kill me. So there is still that hard wiring but we, if you're aware, then you can begin to manage it. And, you know, I, for, let me give you an example. I mean, it's kind of a silly little example, but it, it was made me laugh at myself, which is one day um, somebody wanted to rearrange um, a meeting time. So rather than coming in the afternoon, she wanted to come in and she wanted to meet in the morning. I said, no, you can't do it. My immediate knee-jerk reaction was, no, can't do it. Uh, you know, the end of the day. And then I hung up the phone and, and I I got off the call rather than hanging up the phone. I got off the call and I, was, I started laughing to myself. What? I can do it. My, <laughs> my, my schedule is flexible enough today. There's no reason why I can't do this. And so I called her back. I said, okay, fine. So it was me observing my knee-jerk reaction, taking time to say, what was I thinking? and Why did I do that? And then modifying my behavior accordingly. So, it's, and that's a decision we can make. So awareness, again, awareness of our self and our own reactions is fundamental to making any type of um, adaptation in our behavior. But, okay, so here's the question then I have for you as a consultant. How does an organization become aware of its blind spots? How do how do people become aware of their blind spots? Sometimes you know, in my world, you have to, you have to take a step away from the city to see the smog, as we say. And, and if you're an individual, how do you, how do you know what you're not seeing? Uh, Oh, Mickey, Mickey, thank you for asking that question. Okay. So that's why data is really important. Okay. So a lot of people, for example, organizations will do employee engagement surveys. And I think that's true within the nonprofit world, as well as the the for-profit world. The people want to know if the people who are working with them are really fully engaged and with good reason, because according to Gallup, 67% of the employees are not engaged, which is stunning, stunning. So 
So engagement surveys are around individual experiences. This is what, it's an I statement. I experience X, Y, Z. But getting the employee perception, evaluating the employee perception of the whole, of the collective, with statements like leadership um, supports a diverse workforce, advocates for uh, support work. Uh, I'm sorry, advocates for a diverse workforce, okay? It's like saying, ah, leadership does this as a whole, okay? And then the other thing that's really interesting to find out where the holes are is to administer, this is what we do, we administer the same set of statements to everybody within the organization, including the executive suite, senior leaders, middle managers, staff level people, And then we take the demographic information that we have, you know, race, um, ethnicity, religion, uh, uh, sexual orientation, gender, age. Maybe I said that already. But and then we compare the data. We compare the data to ensure there's organizational alignment. So that if and a lot of times the senior people have no idea what the staff level is experiencing. None whatsoever, which is a problem because it's an indication of a lack of communication. Okay, so again, that doesn't matter if you're in a for-profit organization or a nonprofit organization. It's about the dynamics. Okay, and then the other thing um, that's important to um, evaluate is what is the difference in perception based upon the demographic, the demographics of your organization, and position. So, um, and the, the data is stunning. You know, when we when we look at the data, it's absolutely stunning that male managers, for example, white male managers, have no clue whether or not the women or people of color are interested in promoting, you know, and advancing in their jobs. They have no clue because they don't have any. They don't talk to them. Okay, so there's a break there. And then the other one is differences in perception based upon the demographic background, which is always different. And so when you see these disparities with the data, because data is indisputable, it is indisputable. It's not like we're making it up. It's what people are, are, are telling you. That's where you can identify objectively where you're succeeding because companies are doing some things fine or where you need to put attention. And that's why I say once you have that data, you know where you want to put your resources. You want to set your priorities. What's the most important impact on what our our business success is, profit or or nonprofit? Um, What are we trying to achieve? What, how are the, how are these differences in perception impacting our business, our, our strategy, our business strategy? And it's because you want to align all that with the business strategy. Again, nonprofit or for profit doesn't matter. And then you say, okay, let's map out a strategy, which goes back to what you said previously. Mapping out, uh, yeah, you map out based upon based upon very specific data. And it's better, in my experience, because I've been internal and external to organizations, 
is to have a third party come in and administer this assessment or audit or survey, whatever you want to call it, because it eliminates the possibility of confirmation bias. The third party has no stakehold in making somebody right or letting the organization think that they're doing something well. They don't want, internally, you oftentimes don't want to be the bearer of bad tidings. You know, and the third party doesn't have that same concern. So once you have your data, once you know where you are, point A, then you say, okay, how are we going to get to point B? And what are the steps that we have to take? And then... And base, then, now that you, from the data perspective, now you have a baseline. This is where we are today. Let's let's monitor our progress based upon this this baseline. So let me ask you this then. Mm-hmm. You do the data thing. You get your numbers. You can show an organization, here's where your blind spots are, and here's how you fix what's in them. Why would I want to do that? What's the benefit to the organization for doing that? Well, I would say, why did you bring us in to begin with? <laughs> There's a perceived need. And, you know, fundamental to us engaging with the organizations that we expect, we, we require two things. One is that the leadership, the executive leadership is actively engaged, engaged in the process and that the um, organization commits to implementing at least one of one of the recommendations we make. But the, here's the other dirty little secret. We hold people, we hold our, our clients accountable through the implementation phase. We come up with the data. We then come up with the data-driven actionable recommendations. The organization itself has to come up with the strategy and the action plan. We review it as a third party because we have um, – organizational development background. We have change management. No, I I guess what I'm failing to ask is, sure, an organization may bring you in to do the work, but what happens if they actually sit back and they look at the strategy and the action plan, and then they look around the room and they say, look, I've been in business with my organization for 30 years and we're doing just fine. Why do we need to diversify? Well, well, I go back to the question, why did you bring, why did you invest money in and taking a look at getting the data to find out where you are. And if you don't protect the return on that investment, then that's a bad business decision. So one of the reasons why we hold the the clients accountable is to protect their investment. They want, you want, every dollar you spend, you want to see some type of return on it, especially for nonprofits. And so you're simply saying that the, that the nonprofit already knows why they need to diversify before you even come into the room. Well, there's some driving force yeah. behind it, you know, because, because of what we do, by the nature of what we do. We say we work with inclusion. We build and sustain. We help you build and sustain an inclusive work environment. Well, so that's, that's one side of it. The other side of it is there's a lot of pressure right now for organizations to become more diverse. You know, um, there's, for in the for-profit world, they're the investors, they're the employees themselves, there are the consumers. Um, 
that are really putting pressure on organizations to be more diverse. The younger generation that's coming into the workforce expect a diverse workforce. They are expecting diversity. They are one of the most diverse generations that, that have come through the system at this point. So they expect that. They expect purpose, which is true for nonprofit organizations. There's a perf- purpose behind it. But if the environment is not friendly and willing to promote all people, regardless of what they look like, number one, um, the younger generation isn't going to do that. It isn't going to even bother to apply, which is interesting. That's based upon research that McKinsey has done. The other side of it is, you know, we talk about physical diversity and, um, you know, neurodiversity and, uh, you know, um, uh, mobility diversity. But there's also another side of diversity, which is diversity of thought. If you have a whole group of people who look look the same, think the same, came from the same higher ed school, they're likely to come up with one-dimensional solutions. But when you have people who have different backgrounds, I mean, when, when you fit, depending upon where people come from, their age, their race, their um, socioeconomic background, and so forth, they have had certain experiences that collectively create a broader solution. Because all we know individually is what we know. And oftentimes we get into an echo chamber. We only want to hear what we want to hear. And so we surround ourselves with people who tell us or think exactly the same as we do. And that, that's deadly. Because that, cre- that st- creates stagnation within organizations. It creates missed opportunities. So nonprofits. If you're a nonprofit organization, who are you not serving that you should be serving? And how do you know you're not serving them? Okay, so that's why people from diverse backgrounds are critical for coming up with more robust um, solutions and and services and a broader um, broader constituent base. I mean, I'm thinking again with the nonprofit world, you know, and, and the other thing, too, is the more who, from a nonprofit perspective, the more people you serve, your boards are also going to start wanting to diversify. And if your boards look the same, think the same, what, how is that really serving the nonprofit? Right. You have to ask yourself that. So you do this kind of work for both for-profits and nonprofits. Last thing, because we've only got a couple minutes left here. In your notes, you wrote this phrase, parting pearls. What does that mean? What's your parting shot for our nonprofit audience today before we wrap? Well, first of all, understand that inclusion is the very DNA of your organization. You need to be inclusive. Okay, I'm telling you, you need to be inclusive. If you really want to serve serve your organization well and, and serve your community well, you really have to understand that inclusion is a big issue. It's, and it doesn't matter how diverse your workforce looks. If you're not inclusive, they're not going to stay. The other parting, um, parting words of wisdom are check your mindset. Are you curious? Are you collaborating with other people? 
Are you recognizing there are differences in the way people communicate? Embrace those differences. Do you have the courage to step out of your comfort zone and entertain unknown possibilities or unknown to you? Are you willing to take that risk? Are you committed? And are you committed to make, to developing an inclusive mindset, which, oh, by the way, is a commitment to you right. because it enriches your memories right. as a person. Julia, if a listener wanted to be in touch with you to learn more about your business and possibly uh, getting your help making a map for their organization, how would you suggest they get in touch with you? Well, they can email me at Julia, J-U-L-I-A dot G-E-I-S-M-A-N, Geisman, at career-agility, A-G-I-L-I-T-Y dot com. Again, it's Julia dot Geisman at career-agility dot com. And your website is simply career-agility dot com. Exactly. Got it. Julia, thank you for being my guest today. It's fascinating to me that you've got an actual a way of, of getting some actual data attached to an organization's um, diversity journey. And I think that's really interesting. Again, thank you for being my guest on the show today. And Mickey, thank you for inviting me to be your guest. Really appreciate it. This has been The Snapcast. Thank you for joining us. The Snapcast is a production of the Nonprofit Snapshot. Please visit us at nonprofitsnapshot.org to learn more about our consulting work and the ways we can help your organization continue to make the world a better place.